0: Welcome to the Kinja's Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the f**k we want. <laughs> Kinja bang. Folks, before we get into this next episode, we are proud and so excited to bring this episode to you by our new official sponsor, Kinja Bang Noodles. As always, Kinja Bang Noodles is air-dried and never fried. Our noodles are 100% plant-based with no preservatives, It's perfect for a quick and easy meal, or you can customize it to create your own flavor masterpiece. Keep an eye out for it this fall. Follow us on Instagram at Noodles for all the latest and greatest. Kinja Bang Noodles, feed the revolution. Welcome back to another episode of the Kinja's podcast, Movement in the Shadows. I'm your host, Ben. When I say the word collab, I'm sure something immediately comes to mind. Whether that's Supreme and Louis Vuitton, Adidas and Yeezy, or Travis Scott and McDonald's, we all know by now that we live in the collab world. This wasn't always so normal, though. With the rise of social media, brands, influencers, and product all entered into a whole new realm of hype culture that created this idea of, if you know, you know. My guest today is Chief Marketing Officer of Bait, Inc., Eric Fan. Eric is the licensing and marketing whiz. From working on licensing for toys at Disney for many years to coming on board to running marketing and business development and licensing at Bait, Eric quickly became a master at the craft of licensing. And in this conversation, he breaks down the magic of the collab. From tapping into nostalgia to crossing over into different audiences and markets to the strategies needed to create successful collaborations. Eric really gives us a very insightful look into how the art of the collaboration changed the face of the consumer industry. And he also talks about the importance of creating a strong network around yourself in order to create more future potential collaborations and opportunities. And we met Eric a few years back. We did a kinesthetic pop-up at the Bait store in San Diego during Comic-Con. And being surrounded by his world and seeing how he has been able to successfully bring in so many collaborations into the bait uh, ecosystem and us being able to just soak a little bit of that in was super inspiring. And to catch up with him now during this time, of 2020 and seeing how he and how Bait has shifted and how their focuses um, have shifted during these times to the lessons that they've learned, to how they are capitalizing on certain legs of their business and learning how to shave off the, the sides that aren't as necessary or aren't working as much. For the budding entrepreneur or someone who's ever been wanting to get into licensing, or if you've ever just simply been curious about how collaborations happen and what goes into that whole process. This conversation is packed. Eric is a whiz at what he does, and um, I myself am super inspired by this conversation. Another great, great episode for you guys. Let's get into it. Folks, welcome back to another episode of the Kendra's Podcast, Movement in the Shadows. I'm your host, Ben, and today my very, very special guest, we have Chief Marketing Officer of Bait. We have the homie Eric Fan in the house. Eric, welcome to the pod, bro. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for being here, man. It's been a while um, that uh, we've caught up. Um, we, we all met you about, when was it? Right after ABBC, which is like 2015, right. 16 and, um, yeah, man, we've, we've been able to interact with you. We did a, a pop up shop with the, the store out in San Diego during Comic Con, yeah. And, and, uh, I don't know, man, we just interacted a, a handful of times, um, over the course of the many years. And, uh, you know, it's been a while, obviously, with 2020, everything's kind of uh, in a weird sort of pause, but, um, yeah, man, I wanna, um, I wanna kind of get into your story. So, before we kind of get into like what you're doing now and and uh what bait is doing uh i'd love to kind of go backwards i love to get the origin stories of people so can you give us kind of a, a brief snapshot of uh where you grew up um the family situation the school situation and then and then we can kind of fast forward into where you're at today okay um man
1: in a nutshell i'm a refugee kid from vietnam um fled the country when I was a baby. You know, when I was one and a half um at the fall of Saigon, um the family bounced, came over here. Um kind of single parent, uh, mom raised me and grew up in the SGB. You know, I'm a six two six kid, um, grew up in Alhambra and Pasadena for about twenty years of my life. Um, you know, just the typical, you know, Asian, predominantly Asian community growing up with um, taking that standard path of where most Asian kids, except differences. Um, I was horrible in school, man. Hmm. Um, yeah, as a kid, I was, um, I remember the school calling me in and t- calling my mom my mom in and telling me that they think I had ADD and <laughs> my mom being a immigrant parent. She's like, nah, he doesn't have ADD. He's just lazy. yeah yeah smack me in the back of the head you know tried to knock it out of me yeah um but yeah i just couldn't concentrate in school for anything Mm -hmm. man. um i couldn't focus and so school was never my thing Mm. so i struggled um got out of high school kind of lingered around college went to cal state la but um never finished i just Mm. um i moved out right away when i was when i left finished high school and work became my focus. You know, I had to survive and support myself. Um, so school was always secondary. So, you know, I was always kind of like a part-time student and never finished. Um, and then fortunately, um, Disney did a internship recruitment at Cal state LA. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was fortunate enough to land a spot, um, an internship with Disney consumer products at the time. It was a six month internship. And I bust my ass in that internship and, and four months into it, they said, Hey, we have a full-time position available. You want to take it? And I didn't finish school yet. And I was like, you know, do I finish school or do I take the job? And I was like, hands down, taking the job, you know, like, what do you really do? Like you you try to finish school and you try to try to get a good job with a big company. Well, I got a big company offering me a position now, take it try to do some, you know, night classes later and finish up
0: the rest is history. <laughs>
1: Never look back, you know? Yeah. yeah. So. yeah.
0: What was that position um, at, uh, at Disney that they offered so you? So when I first got in
1: there, I got into, um, computer science. I had just switched my major at Cal state LA, you know, again, I was, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was a business administration major and I switched to computer science and, I got an internship in computer science. I, they put me in the IT department, you know, desktop support, going to support people, um, fix basic issues, network issues. And so I did that for a good two years there, um, doing that. And I started to network. I started to talk to people in the other departments, um, in licensing. And I was always a toy nerd. I always loved toys. And so I started hanging out with a lot of the toy people, um, interviewed for a position in toys and, you know, I didn't get the job cause I had no toy experience. Um, they gave it to another girl who had toy experience. And then like six months later, she, um, the hiring manager said, Hey, I, I still got that position you applied for. You know, it didn't work out with that other girl, but you know, I'll give you a shot if you still want it. I said, hell yeah. Um, and got into that, got into toys, got into licensing. And from there, it just really set the path for the rest of my career, because there, um, I stayed in toys. I went to, after I left Disney, I went to Bandai, did um, licensed toys. There went to spin master, did licensed toys there. Um, and while I was at spin master, that's when I met, um, who is the owner of bait and undefeated um and he was looking to start he, Bait didn't exist at the time it was Pick Your Shoes and he wanted to start a new um showroom for Pick Your Shoes and he wanted to name it Bait and he wanted to do license a license collab and he had heard that you know I had a lot of experience in licensing so then reached out struck a deal and I still at the time I was just kind of consulting for him I did um a street fighter deal for them and program killed it and a little bit later on when bait had kicked off and he saw that that was a direction that he wanted um, bait to go down he reached out and said hey you want to come on board and kind of run my marketing and kind of business development so at the time the bait store had only opened for like two months Um, I came on board and we started concentrating on retail and collaborations and the game was still pretty fresh. Collab game was new back then, you know, not everyone was in it. Right. Um, back then a lot of sneaker brands were offering retailer collabs, you know, so like so-and-so would get a exclusive like a collab with that manufacturer. So it was starting to expand and start to grow. And that's when, from a bait standpoint, we said, we got to take it to the next level. So we started tagging on a license piece. On top of it, you know, so not only was it a bait X A6 collab or something like that, we were bringing in um, a licensed property, whether it be like Marvel or SpongeBob, like that. Mm. And so that really changed things up back then. You know, the runner game was really hot. Um, and so we started kick the brand, started picking up recognition really quickly, and then we started opening more stores. Um, you know, I had a little bit of retail background, and so I said, Hey, this formula is working for what we're doing at this one store it's easily scalable and we could do this, um, you know, over a few doors. Um, that's when we, we went ham that year. We, I think we opened like three doors. Um, that next year and a half, you know, Mm -hmm. I was, I was traveling like crazy. I was, cause not all the stores were local. So I was going all over the place from, you know, handling lease negotiations to build outs, to setting up the stores, to hiring. So I was on the road back and forth getting the stores up and going, but um, you know, look back on it now. We're like seven, almost eight years into it. We have ten stores in
0: the U.S. and two stores in Japan. That's amazing, man! It's a crazy journey. Yeah, Um, I want to kind of uh, back back things up a little bit. So as you you keep using the word licensing, and um, you know, maybe not everybody, all of our listeners may understand what that means. And, um, you know, from what I know you as like, you're that, you're the licensing whiz, man. Like, you know, even talking with uh, the homie Andy from Afters, he's like, yo man, (laughs) Eric knows licensing like backwards and frontwards and upside down. And so like, you know, can you kind of explain, um, you know, what licensing is first and then, um, and how you sort of, uh, became so knowledgeable and, and, uh, Mm -hmm. such an expert at that. Yeah. Um, so licensing um basic explanation on licensing is
1: just when a licensor a brand or intellectual property lends out its branding or its characters its um, look um, out there to other manufacturers to produce product um, with that stuff on there so that um you know they could leverage the brand recognition from these other, you know, Disney, for example, I'll use them as because they are the biggest licensor in this world. Um, you know, if you think when you buy something with Mickey mouse on it, most likely 90% of the time, Disney did not manufacture it. Disney licensed it to a brand mm-hmm. and they bought the, the ability to put the Disney logo and markings, trademarks, um, characters on there so that they could sell that use the, brand recognition that Disney has built over there so many years, um, so that they could sell that to their consumer. And then they, the, uh, the manufacturer will pay a royalty back to Disney, um, for everything that they sell using that mark. And so it's, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar business. Um, everyone does it, every big brand out there. Um, like once you build the brand big enough, you most likely you're going to end up licensing it because, there's no risk. It's less work. Disney doesn't have to, you know, again, t- Disney does produce product for Disney stores. Um, but most of the time, anytime you go into any uh, department store or any mass big box store, they did not produce it at someone else producing it and doing licensing the branding on it. Um, so in a nutshell, that's, um, licensing. And the second part of your question is how did I become so knowledgeable in it is, you know, I'd have to say, going back to my roots at Disney, when I, was there, I was at Disney for seven years, and I was building categories. You know, when I say category, I was in charge of role play. I was in charge of certain franchises, Toy Story, Power Rangers, or, um, you know, novelties or collectibles. As you are tasked with growing that category, you start reaching out and talking to all these potential manufacturers, licensees, who want to use your branding on there. Right. And so it's your job to figure out strategically which ones make the most sense for your business, for your brand. You know, there's brands out there that could get you volume, you know, like uh, guys who produce and make things for Walmart, there's going to be a tons of units and a lot of royalty behind it. Is it what's going to be the best look? Maybe not, you know, and then you got to talk to other partners and kind of strategically, splice it up. Um that's why we get a lot of nickname. It's like splicing is you got to carve it out and segment it, create different categories. And it's all about growing the business strategically and making it go, uh, you know, building it for long-term play and you know um getting that incremental business. If you could carve out someone who owns who plays really well at Walmart, but then there's this other manufacturer who um owns a different you know distribution point you just got to carve it out and figure out how they all work together and you know sounds a lot easier than it is but you know it it comes down to when like for example you make a action figure and you sometimes these contracts you carve it out where like action figures from this scale to this scale can go to this person from this height and above goes to this person, this price point and above considered a collectible, this um, pro, um this material is this and or this stylization, and this is real like so. It's there's yeah. a lot more to it, you know. Yeah. But, and so as I was growing these categories, I met with so many different companies and um different manufacturers, and then once you switch over and become a licensee, you go back and you're working with different licensors. So I've been on both ends. I've been a licensee and a licensor. And the funny thing in this industry is that everyone's like in every industry, it's always really small and people revolve from one place to another. Like I could see that like a lot of the people that I worked with at the time when I was at Disney, you know, over 15 years ago have moved on and our heads of the departments of all the different other studios, Universal, um you know all every entertainment studio out there has got some kind of origin from disney and so it's all about your network and who you work with and your reputation um you know who who trusts you who wants to work with you and from there it just makes it so easy and i've been in this game for so long that you know if you said hey eric i want to see you about doing a license for this brand most likely if I don't know who it is directly, I will know someone who will point me in the right direction and connect me with that person who I need to talk to about and getting that deal. Um, so you can see as you look back on Bates licensing portfolios that we've tapped into almost everything and it's all because of networking. It's all about the people, you know,
0: and, um, you know, your reputation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's super cool, man, especially for, you know, when you have to make that decision for yourself, um, to get an opportunity at this amazing company for a full-time position. Um, and then, you know, having in the background, like, well, I should finish school. And, you know, obviously what you were studying in school wasn't marketing, wasn't licensing. It was like completely something else. And there's like the, the safe route or the conventional route that I'm sure your mom was, um, to take. And then you taking that leap, um, over the other end. And, uh, seeming like it's a risk though it's like well like what am I even going to school for anyways it's to it's to get a job at a company like this so it's like I almost yeah. like fast forward into that but it yeah. seems like um I it felt like you took a risk like in your own mind like I, I'm gonna take a risk I'm gonna not finish school I'm gonna go do this and then and then when you do that I think when you kind of like you know you burn your boat so to speak there's this like heightened sense of like yo man I I really need to figure this thing out because I, I need to make sure that I didn't make the wrong decision. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. Really taking that full plunge to be, um, such a sponge to your environment and, and working your butt off to like learn the ins and outs. And I love that story because, um, you know, I talked to a lot of people where some go the schooling route and, you know, finish mm-hmm. four years of college and, and do the whole thing and pursue a, a career in something that they studied at school. And then some, Uh, don't finish school um, and then they go find their path. Some people finish school and then completely go, you know, into exactly all to say, the reason I bring that up is because I feel like the, the schooling system in the way that it's traditionally been, I guess, approached um, and still is being approached is it's not for everybody and it doesn't guarantee any sort of path. Um, And it's ultimately you as an individual making that decision um, to put your every bit of effort into something. And you obviously did that, um, in your own way. And, you know, as you're talking about like the whole, the layers of licensing and splicing and I'm like, man, there's, there's a whole lot of, um, little, like nuances and like you said, from s- the size of a figure to the material of it, like it goes to different categories. Exactly, like, where is it selling
1: at? You know, yeah. so
0: many things go into factor that, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I-, I wanna talk a little bit about, I guess maybe your strategy as you, you said that, obviously that involves a lot of um, strategic thinking um, and you know, there's so many levels of it. Do you, do you kind of operate or have you more so operated Um, in those spaces better alone or do you kind of uh, utilize a team of people to kind of man certain stations so that you can focus on like the specific things that you're particularly good at or interested in when it comes to this
1: whole licensing and business development piece of it you know for what i do for bait um completely work better on my own. And fortunately, you know, um, with the owner of the company, I have this chemistry where he has a lot of, um, faith and, you know, he empowers me to make decisions on the fly. And so what that enables me to do is be extremely creative, um, um, and prompt to creativity and being able to maneuver in these conversations. You know, one of, the benefits of being on both sides when growing up in the licensing world, you know, understanding the licensor side and the licensee side. I have that, I know the mentality of what's going through their head, what their end game is, what they need, or what sometimes I I might need to let them know what they need that they didn't even think of, presented to them, Um, And but I know that from, a corporate standpoint, you know, what the brand needs. Um, and so it enables me to think on my feet and be a lot faster and carve things out. Um, as I said, be creative, um, and kind of just pivot on the fly to cater some of these programs to who I'm speaking to, because I could get in their head and figure out like, you know, this is you know what they want or this would be something really cool for them you know there's times where i've had licensors reach out to me and tell me exactly what they need and i'm like cool we could do that and there, i've been on other conversations where i've gone to a licensor and i told them this is what you need you don't have this going on right now mm. but this is what i can do for you this right. is what would be a really good look for you and they end up saying hey yeah. let's go let's you know it makes sense let's do it you know
0: Yeah, and it's cool that like, um, because, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, when I look at bait, when I first stepped into the bait store in Diamond Bar, it was like, I don't know, man, it was Disneyland times 10 for me, because it's like every single thing that I've ever loved as a child growing up, and then seeing them like come together, (laughs) like, like, how how are these two things paired up into like, you know, there's t-shirts, there's shoes, there's just like Mm -hmm. all kinds of like collectible things. And I was like, man, how is this even possible? But like, it all starts somewhere, you know, it it, Mm didn't, it didn't just magically appear, uh, one day a store called bait opened up and then had all these, you know, crazy collabs. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, yeah, like the collab culture is something that, you know, within the past, maybe 10 years or so has really popped off, you know, you know, maybe before you would see things here and there. And I think, Um, That to me is the interesting thing. You know, when you like, you know, come to present day, you know, when I think back then I would be like, man, that's such a random collaboration. Like what does that have to do with that? But like almost that, that the the sense of a random collab is almost disappearing because you can literally collaborate anything. I mean, when I'm seeing Travis Scott collaborate with McDonald's on a quarterback with cheese, I'm like, yeah, why not? Like, sure, I'm sure yeah. that works. You know, and um, so I guess, you know, with, uh, you know, as you stepped into bait and, um, you know, with the contacts and the, that you probably uh, carried over from, you know, working with Disney, which I'm sure, yeah, as you mentioned, you, you had so many uh, licensees that you were working with because Disney's, you know, one of the largest companies in the world. Um, so, now that you kind of were in a space where you were able to run a little bit more freely, um, I'm sure there was like, you know, you probably were like a kid in the candy store. Like, dang, if I have freedom to like try to, you know, collaborate with, you know, whoever, I'm sure there was a lot of sort of childhood dreams for yourself that you wanted to kind of bring into the table. So um, what were some of those like early projects for you that you like, or maybe the, yeah, some of the first stuff that you did with Bait that, you were able to really exercise your creative freedom and like sort of your childhood dreams to kind of come to real life. I mean,
1: you look at the bait portfolio, like the brands that we work with, it's really a lot of them in the beginning were all passion projects for myself and Peng. right? We're both people who grew up in the eighties and loved most, I'd have to say like most pop culture, right? You grow up on the movies you watch, the cartoons you watch, the toys you played with, um, the sports teams that you watch, um, and all those things are all little building blocks of what your DNA is as you're an adult, you know? Um, and a lot of us, once you hit adulthood, you leave some of it behind you know you don't look at it or you don't think about it anymore but that's why you know for the longest time retro and nostalgia did so such a great business because you start you try to tap in on that person who grew up on this and now has the money the expendable income or you know that could play in that and wants to rock um their old school favorite cartoon on a t-shirt but not wear it a basic tee that they picked up at like target or, you know, old Navy, they want something that's a little more on the cooler side. Mm -hmm. And that's what we played in. You know, we wanted to make, um, all these nerdy otaku geeky things. Cool. Um, and we always, you know, going into any licensed, um, program, like, I mean, we pick it apart and, you know, you talk about how everyone's doing collabs and, you know, what was that movement? It was just really finding ways to expand your following, right? Your exposure. Like if, for example, I pull in some random license for a shoe. Let's just say we just did our Reebok Toy Story um, capsule. It's kind of random. But see, you know, the world out there for that person who's a toy story fan. And, you know, there's no doubt looking based off of the blockbuster, the box office numbers for the toy story franchise, there's enough fans out there, right. That are just toy story fans. And then we go, we scale down and we look at the sneaker culture, that sneaker head that we work with, you know, um, already. And, you know, the sneaker industry is a massive industry already. And then you go into the hardcore sneaker head who, you know, how many of them are willing to, to drop $200 on their favorite pair of sneakers that drop every week. Um, and there is a big group out there now, how do we bridge those two together and you turn a toy story fan into a sneakerhead Because I would say the majority of the sneak toy story fans have never even considered spending $200 on a pair of sneakers. Right. But now we're educating them. We're converting them. We say, Hey, there's, if you're a hardcore toy story fan, And you want to really take it to the next level, check these shoes out. And so you might not have ever considered it, but now you're into it. And then on the flip side, you have that toy, um, that sneakerhead who wasn't that huge of a toy story fan, but they just are conditioned to buying $200 shoes on the weekly because it's limited. um, It looks good or it might have a resale value. Right. And so now we're flipping it around and say, Hey, there's this toy story shoe that can hit off those check marks for you. So how do we convert you into a Toy Story fan? And so now we're tapping in two big pies as opposed to just trying to eat off of one pie that we're sharing with other um, boutiques and other releases on that given weekend, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the same um, strategy that we take into when we do shows like um, Complex Con, New York Comic Con, uh, San Diego Comic Con, Anime Expo, is that we're just trying to tap in to different demos and grow our following um, and our brand awareness by playing in different fields and um, eating off of different pies. And I'm sure that's the same strategy on a lot of these other people who are doing the same thing. And for example, Kinja's afters ice cream, right? You know um, you might have Kinja's fans who weren't eating afters, but now there's that drive. And then there's afters fans who weren't familiar with the Kinja's and now you're bridging it all together, and you're tapping, you're, you're potentially growing your um, clientele, your customer base by twice, you know, whatever it is. And so, like yeah. that's the whole nature of the collab. I feel is like everyone trying to create a win-win situation and just building their awareness and growing their business incrementally, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, for me, that sneakerhead, that. Pie of new sneakerheads isn't growing that much. It's the mm-hmm. same guys. I see you see the the same guy lining up. But if I could tap into another group of customers, then I've just grown my reach on things and grown the business. You know, and so that's what that was the main driver in us doing the collabs that we do.
0: at checkout to get 15% off your entire purchase. We're always trying to bring you guys the illest gear for all your movement in the shadow's needs. Follow us on Instagram at kin.aesthetic. Like us on Facebook at kin Aesthetic Brand. Yeah, I think that um, the concept of cross-pollinating and and like growing audience by tapping into an audience that may have never um, had interest in a certain, you know, culture or a certain, yeah, like... Um, certain product. uh, But, you know, giving them reason to like now look over here is like, I would have never looked over there before, but now I am because this thing that I actually is now a part of this other thing that I'm like, what is that? Like, and and I think that, that there's, there's a, some very, something, something very interesting about, I think the (laughs) human psychology about that. It's like, like, you know, there's something intriguing about something familiar becoming new. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Like it's something that I like, but this is a new mm-hmm. way for me to be like, right. get it now. And, and I think like, that is, for yeah. example, you talk about the Travis Scott McDonald's program, right? Mm-hmm. Like
1: I try to avoid eating at McDonald's at all costs. <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't remember the last time I ate at McDonald's, yeah. but that Travis Scott program, I was intrigued. Yeah. There was marketing. It's, it's basically a quarter pounder with lettuce, barbecue sauce and um bacon in it right but you're t- you're saying exactly what you're saying it's something old they changed a few things put a lot of marketing behind it yeah got me i went yeah. down there i tried it out cuz i was intrigued i'm also in the industry but i'm sure a lot of Travis Scott fans oh, did the yeah. same
0: thing it got me t-
1: completely you know
0: yeah, yeah just curious. Cause I, I only heard about it. And I, I mean, I, I kind of laughed it off, but I was like, man, that is pretty freaking genius. Cause I'm like, man, I'm not going to go buy that. It's the same thing. But I was just like, I kind of want to do it. You know what I mean? Just yeah. cause I want to experience it. And just to say that I did it, uh, yep. was it, was it just the same like cost wise or did they like mark up a premium on it too? Or how did that work? Honestly, I don't need a McDonald's enough <laughs> to know
1: if it yeah. was, if, yeah. Right. But it was, it was good. You know, okay, I mean, okay. they changed a few, added a couple of ingredients where you could have done it already. You could have made a custom on your own at any given right. day, but they
0: did it up for you and they called it a Travis Scott. And you know, yeah, uh, I did. <laughs> yeah. So okay, I, I think that that's also really interesting because, as you say, you know, you you heard about it. The, there's like this whole like I heard it through the grapevine, and back in the day prior to social media, the grapevine was a lot, it's way more just like word of mouth type things. But now that we have social media, um, you know, it's, it's like the, the most direct way to reach an audience. You know, you could, there's algorithms to target a specific demographic of age group to ethnicity, to gender, to location, all of that. Um, how do you feel like social media um, I guess what is the role that social media plays in the the um success of like the the collab world and like the hype world and all of that? Man, social media makes it. Mm-hmm. right. Like I would
1: say the world as we know it, would not be anywhere near. I would say twenty percent of where it is now without social media. Mm-hmm. social media has, completely changed our perspective, our access to things, you know, um, just from exposure, access to following people. Um, you know, I can't even begin. I don't even know The social media has such a major impact on everything from shopping to influencers, to what we wear fashion, everything that I don't even know where to begin on that. I mean, mm, I'm like, for yeah. example, there's the world as we know it, there's so many people who are celebrities for I don't even know what they did, but because they're big on social media, um, you know, we deemed them a celebrity and they're just, you know, like <laughs> my daughters, right. They are, they grew up and they went through different phases and they follow different people. And I watch these videos and I'm like, this is just an, Everyday Joe, but he found his niche that he realized that like anywhere from opening up um, a box of toys and recording it or people eating onto a mic for ASMR to, you know, just people are just known for doing things. Um, and it's crazy, but, you know, it's the exposure that um, social media has given these people and us as for an entertainment value, you know, I f- could sit here and if I start going on Instagram and I could fall down that rabbit hole of watching videos and digging into things and before I know it an hour goes away and you know yeah. and you know there's people who just know so much about the world through social media like my daughter knows everything that's trending relevant and everything like that because she's on social media
0: so much and she mm-hmm. tells me these things you know it's it's crazy um yeah yeah how did you pivot for, I mean, cause I think when you, I would imagine when you were like going ham at Disney, um, Instagram wasn't really a thing, you know? No. So like, there was not that leg of, um, you know, the marketing strategy was social media was not even there. So when you now enter into this, yo, there's this thing called Instagram. Now there's this, a TikTok. There's, you know, the, there's a, this and that, there's always something new. Um, so, you know, as somebody who was very, I guess, traditional, we can call it old school way of doing things. And then now you're like, okay, this is the new way that things, um, information is dispersed. And, and this is the way that people sell product. Now, whatever it is, how did you, um, I guess like shift your strategies to be like, okay, now we got to really know how to utilize this social media thing. And I mean, go back in the beginning,
1: like everything was web-based, right? Everything was from a marketing standpoint. You wanted to do promotions. You know, it's all about SEO, you know, search engine optimization, ads and things like that. And you had to pay good money for that stuff. And as we go into this new age of um, social media and everyone, you can manually control a lot of this and however you manipulate it and however you did it, you could drive your exposure to it. It just changed how our outlook, like mark, everyone's marketing campaigns shifted, right? Now you'll see sponsored ads for, dedicated for social media. As I go and I go into conversations with a lot of licensors, some of them want to know from a marketing standpoint, what you're going to do to support it and what it was back in the day where we wanted people to set a certain budget towards promotional ads run commercials, run newspaper, magazine ads, um, different things like that. That's that world is irrelevant. Now. No one cares about that, right? You know, no one's really watching ads on TV anymore. No one's buying magazine subscriptions. Now it's all about, um, you know, cutting into that, their social media time, their screen time, and how do you get their eye on something for that split second and, you know, drive them towards different things.
0: Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. As you said earlier about, um, you know, finding out that there's like this, you know, deemed celebrity because of their numbers, uh, followers on social media, um, you know, the way, I guess the question is like, when you approach, let's say collaborating with somebody or a brand, do you look, um, is it simply a numbers game for you or is there something deeper in terms of the strategies that, um, you apply, to actually wanting to create a project or go into a working relationship with somebody? Is it just um, the numbers it, thing or the It's the numbers. The numbers is the first thing you look at, right? Mm-hmm. It's the one that gets you and It's a
1: sad, sad day when, <laughs> you know, right away, just to see how important someone is, how big they are, you go and look at their falling, but it's the world that we live in. Yeah. Right. And then from there, you know, for us, we dig down a little deeper because you want to know, the numbers is a certain thing, but you need particular numbers that work for you. Um, And I use that for example, like say in the streetwear industry, I'm going to use Tom Brady and OBJ um, as my two examples, two superstar football players, Mm -hmm. right? And both with big social media followings. Am I better off? doing having tom brady rock a bait t-shirt or obj mm. rock my t-shirt mm. obj hands mm. down mm. right because his following is the target i'm going after right not that um not brady and right. it, you know and it's it's something that we have to look at like, you know a lot of people come to us and oh yeah i have a massive following yeah that's fine but your number you're that your number, that following of yours doesn't hit, isn't going to buy what our stuff, it doesn't line up, you know? Um, so you got to dissect that and figure, understand that out. And then you also got to dig into what that person, what how that pers- person portrays himself on social media, you know? Okay. Um, someone could have a really high number, but, um, you know, if it's like super hardcore gangster rap for us and this guy's, you know, all these portrayings, violence, guns, drugs, and this like that. Is that the image that we want? You know, he might have an enormous falling, but that doesn't fall in line with what our look is, you know? Right. And, you know, sometimes you could see these things and sometimes things just come out of nowhere. And that's why guys lose big endorsement deals for the things that they say, or, you know, skeletons coming out of the closet happens all the time and they lose their big, um, contracts um like that but you know so some of the little things that we look into when um, digging deeper into
0: someone's social media following and the yeah. numbers behind it you know it's not just the number yeah um, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah i think uh understanding what like your brand is like the the flavor of your brand so to speak like it needs to align in order for it to like have it a a um i guess sort of a cohesive meshing you know right to together yeah Um, so, you know, during these times, you know, with, with COVID and 2020, um, have, have you seen this, um, affect, uh, your industry? Um, I guess I, of course it's affected it, but I guess how has it affected it? Do you see a lot more, uh, negative effects or has it not really affected in terms of how people consume because people are online anyway? How, how has that been for you guys in shifting during these times? Uh, Um, you nailed it when you said online, right? Um, during this time, obviously all the
1: business was pushed online because brick and mortar was done. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately for us, um, we came from the online business. You know, as I said, when we first built bait, it was because it was to be a showroom for pick your shoes and we were already killing it on e So we have a, had a very robust, um, e-com setup, you know, warehouse fulfillment and everything. So inventory was very heavy. And then a lot of other boutiques came along, but weren't so concerned with the online piece of the business and more, you know, all about their brick and mortar presence. And which is great. They were doing a great business when their store was able to open, but what happens when, you know, COVID hit and, which was completely unseen by anyone, they were majorly impacted because their e-com wasn't developed enough for, um, uh, the reach wasn't there. You know, there's, if you take, um, you know, our, like if you break down our e-com sales and where we're pulling in our business and how much of it we do out of state, it's a good majority. Whereas these guys were all relying on, um, you know, brick and mortar business. And so their reach wasn't there. Um, they didn't plan marketing and from an inventory standpoint, um like that so it it affected a lot of other uh, boutiques in the industry you know um a lot of product was had to be placed on hold and stuff like that whereas we just continue to take it on and we're moving it you know we just pivoted over to online sales um it's tough i mean even to this day of the 10 u.s stores we only have two open right now wow Yeah. And that was just recently, you know, we opened up Denver and then we just opened up our Santa Ana store last week. Um, and there's still some stores that I don't foresee opening anytime soon either. Mm. You know, um, Portland PDX, they're still protesting up there. There's still um, unrest up there. So we don't foresee that. And then Hawaii, um, which is a state that is driven predominantly by um, tourism, and it's been shut down. Yeah. Like, I, you know, there's no need for us to open that one back up anytime soon yet either, you know? So the industry has been impacted, but from a dollar standpoint, our online sales have been crazy, mm. you know? So in the beginning, everyone was worried about the economy and stuff like that we showed no signs of that looking at our sales online, like numbers were still just booming and that's across the board. Everyone I've talked to who was set up and were doing online sales, everyone was cranking. Mm. So by all means, like, you know, stimulus checks, unemployment, everything like that. And the people who kept their jobs who were allowed to work from home, no longer paying for dry cleaning, lunches, (laughs) um, gas, they were throwing their money all on sales too. So
0: yeah that's so interesting. Um, so, you know, with that, I mean, I think what we're learning and what we're seeing happen right before our eyes is a huge shift in consumer behavior and like the way that, um, you know, people are going to construct their businesses moving forward. So do you feel like this is kind of the end of the brick and mortar, um, industry for a lot of different type, uh, like, uh, a lot of industries. So not only, um, you know, like fashion and, and apparel, but like, I feel like people aren't going out and doing the normal things that they used to. Like I went to a movie theater for the first time this past Sunday, first time this whole year, place is mm-hmm. empty and like we yeah. literally sitting in a theater by ourselves. And I'm like, there's no way this is sustainable. <laughs> like how are they going to yeah. keep this open? So like even the, the film industry and things like that are all, everybody is looking at a new world. So what, what is your opinion and thought on like the future of brick and mortar? Um,
1: the future in brick and mortar is going to be great. There's going to be a lot of them shutting down, but I think it's, it's more prejudice towards certain um, industries. You know, obviously um, as the consumer has, you know, on during lockdown has realized how they can exist with on just keeping it to online business. Um, You really, for this in streetwear industry, particularly, I think there are certain things that the consumer still needs to go and shop for, or um, you know, or for as a from a retailer standpoint, we could still manipulate that. Mm-hmm. You know, I could put it online on a special release, or I could make it in store, and guess mm-hmm. what? They're coming to my door, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And so, when you have certain limited, um, high demand items, you can still. Mm. rig the system and drive business towards brick and mortar. And then there's wow. a lot of other players out there who don't have that freedom. You know, um, it's more of a, um, mass commodity that, you know, consumer doesn't need to see it, feel it, touch it. Um, and could just easily order it online, you know, Amazon killing it during quarantine. Um, so that, sure. that brick and mortar piece of the, of the business will never come back. Mm. Um, but for our particular piece of As I mentioned, we can still work the system and manipulate it so that we drive the business back to brick and mortar, you know, by doing activations, pushing releases, um,
0: running raffles and stuff like that through the door that it still drives the consumer through. Yeah, I think uh, you bring up a a very interesting point. I mean, that all goes back to strategy, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, experience is... um, you can't, you can't duplicate or fabricate an experience that can only be, um, you know, done in one way. Like I can't recreate live interaction, no matter how good technology I have, like, you know, live concerts, going to sit in the movie theater and, and, you know, doing the whole thing, unless you're balling and you can create your own movie theater at home somehow. Um, you know, like, like you said, an exclusive drop that like, the the cultural aspect of like the sneaker drop is like waiting in line you know busting to the doors right when things open that's why people still do black friday i mean i i know a lot of um you know you know businesses have shifted to like oh everything's online so you don't have to you know be waiting you know overnight at you know, after thanksgiving but people some people love that you know they're like that's right. like what it's fun like the camera yeah. in front of a store so i think um you know the future of of any industry that wants to still create that uh that live in-person experience you know via brick and mortar you just need to strategize on like what can i create here that um people can't you're not going to get this anywhere else you know and and, uh, and there's like the nostalgia to that there is the the social aspect of it the community aspect of it that um is so important and like yeah i think the streetwear sneaker culture um you know, that it's been around and people love that, you know, and I think that's also another one of those like tapping into a nostalgia. Yeah. You said there, there's not a bunch of new sneakerheads being born every day, but it's the old school guys that still love it. That, that will, yeah. still, um, be a part of it in whatever way they can. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, so, you know, now for yourself, uh, you know, we've been locked in quarantine. I mean, the things are slowly getting to some level of normal, um how have you uh how has like your focuses shifted during these times? Um even like on a personal uh health, you know, type of tip from physical, mental, spiritual, all that stuff to um, you know, even as a as a businessman, like uh how are what are your focuses like these days? Um this
1: quarantine period um did a lot for me, man. Um from a financial piece of the business, um I took a big hit um, losing out on a lot of projects from like all the conventions, all the trade shows from 2020 wiped out. That was a big piece of business, um, activations, you know, we were getting, we had air max day, um, lined up for bait now on Melrose, killed the program right before lockdown too. you know, lockdown happened right before it was about to go down. Um, but I look back on it and basically I look at it like this all went down in March. We're now in September. That's been six months of me not being able to travel. I was traveling nonstop and I couldn't foresee when that was going to stop. You know, if anything, it was going to ramp up and it really forced myself to go on a break. And it was, um, it was a forced vacation and I still work, but you know, mentally, I was not so scattered anymore because I didn't have as many projects going on, travel going on. And it let me focus, refocus on a lot of things, you know, family, um, house, doing little projects here and there that I never, didn't think I'd ever be able to get to, um, spending summer vacation with my daughters you know um but here we were and you know we were forced to do it and it was amazing like getting to spend quality time with the family um it was nice man so would i you know would i have changed the break no i mean of course i wouldn't want to have COVID, you know affect so many people but this forced break did a lot for me and it was nice you know um and it gave me time to sit and look and plan for when COVID was going to end or how to pivot during COVID. But, you know, which isn't, I'm running so fast. A lot of times I don't get to really sit and think about, you know, be proactive and plan ahead, which this time did, you know, it's going to be the Darwinism of business, you know, the strongest will survive coming out of this. And you just want to make sure that you're prepared and, um, you know, how you change things. Um,
0: and, so yeah, it's, it's a, I think it was a good thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, with everything uh, that you've kind of uh, built for yourself over the course of your career, and I'm sure with um, life events like COVID and um, you know, you even being in places where you look at what a forced break can do for you in terms of creating a kind of a healthier outlook on certain things, being able to value things uh, time with your family that you would never take back. Um, so, as you know, the man that you are now today, um, you know, versus maybe the the young ambitious Eric when you first started working, you know, at Disney and stuff. How has your definition of success kind of evolved, and what is it today? I think the definition of success is, you know, um,
1: it's going to be different for everyone, right? You just have to dig deep and figure out what is it that you want to accomplish out of life? What do you need out of life? Right. Um, you know, what one person might be like might consider to be successful might not be to someone else. We all are different people. We have different goals, um, different needs. Um, you know, so really it's just finding what it is to you and you know, where I am now, you know i'm not saying like success isn't material a big part of it is um and then uh, other parts of success is all personal it's within yourself and feeling what you the goals that you set that you want to accomplish and you know um the family that you want to raise the home that you want to live in um, to other people it's being able to travel the places that they want to go or enjoy the different things so it's all relative to each person um you know i'm very blessed with things that i've accomplished and the things i've done and um, the access that i have to do the things that i want so you know um you know obviously we're always going to be our hardest critic um but you know when we really stop and put things in perspective and like you know um and you look at your blessings and if you really put it you know connected to what successes to you, then, you know, you'll feel a little more accomplished with the things that um, you have in life. Yeah. And it's always, and of course, it's always good to have, um, to never stop pushing for your, pushing yourself to the higher goals as well. But, you know, to a certain point, you got to um, count your blessings, and enjoy what you have as well. So those are all successes.
0: Yeah. I like that, man. I mean, you present a very balanced look at it because, um, you know, not to say, um, you, well, you, you definitely said that it is relative. It is very subjective in terms of how you define it for yourself. And, um, you know, again, I love asking that question because, uh, I love to see the similarities between what everyone says. And most people say, yeah, you know, it's like, it's happiness. It's, you know, do you feel fulfilled? And, um, you know, it, there's almost this, um, I don't know, like this, uh, sense of, Oh, I don't want to say it involves money and materialism. Cause that's going to make me sound as someone's like, but part of it right. is, I mean, you know, if yeah. you're not, you're not <laughs> Absolutely. Put on the table, if you're not yeah. you know, the lights on, then like, is that really success? You know, like, yeah. you gotta be able to create your basic, uh, livelihood. Um, but it's not all about that. And, and so that I think it's important to find, um, that balance of those two things, you know, and, and, yeah. and obviously it gets shaped in all sorts of different ways, but uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely love that. Yeah. Um, My answer on that has changed
1: recently, like a lot recently, you know, yeah. it's just finding that it's all about that balance you say, right. It's like that, yeah. that balance of, you know, appreciating what you have, but never
0: stop striving. Yeah. 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 I keep going, man. That's life. Yep. Um, If it's cool, man, I want to shoot a little lightning round session at you. We'll fire questions and uh, just come off top, man. Here we go, lightning! In three, two, one. What is your favorite food? Sushi. What is your favorite Saturday morning cartoon?
1: Ooh, growing up as a kid, it was probably X Men.
0: Favorite breakfast cereal? Lucky Charms. (laughs) Nice. Favorite movie of all time? Et. What was the collab that you were most hyped on? Um,
1: Star Wars, um, big dream. That was one of those things that, like I said, I would have felt like I succeeded in licensing industry when I got bait uh, Star Wars collab, and we we're closed, we We're doing it right now. But that's because I grew up a
0: big Star Wars nerd. That's freaking amazing, man. <laughs> Where, the, if there were any, what was your most epic fail? <laughs> As in like collab or just in life? Uh, You choose. You choose that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Subjective. uh, Let's go with collab probably. Epic fail. I don't want to hurt any feelings. I'm going to leave. I'm going to stay off of that one. Um, (laughs) Epic fail in life. Um, For myself being how much... I had ADD and everything like that. I just wish I would have um, carved
0: a different path for school, Um, Mm. approached it differently. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What was the toughest project that you've ever worked on?
1: Anytime we got to deal with a celebrity in it and (laughs) it's a finicky one, Um, Allen Iverson. Um people who are hard to wrangle. Those are the Got ones it. that like you know, you build up to it and you're just even though there's a check on the table, you're still not sure if that person's even gonna show up on the day that they need to. And you know yeah. that those those
0: are tough. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. What is your proudest moment? Um my daughters. What is a dream collab or an opportunity that you hope for? Cause. Woo! Uh, complete this thought this needs to come back.
1: Yeah. What needs to come back? Um, just it's weird. I mean, lightning round top of my head is just the ability to go back being able, I miss being able to like, I watch on TV. I see someone hug someone, touch someone, Wow. Like that's unheard. Like yeah. that that freedom to be able to just give someone a hug. Like, you know, I see your friend, your family, someone give them a dab, you know, like that world is gone so far. And
0: I, I wish for that to come back. That's a great answer, man. I wasn't even yeah. thinking about that, but you're dang right about it. <laughs> yeah. hugs and handshakes. Like, yeah. Remember when yep. we used to do that? <laughs> yeah, man. Wow. Okay. it's good. Um, what is the most random collab that you've ever worked on? Sharkweed. Oh, shoot. Okay. (laughs) Pretty out there. Yeah. What is your biggest fear? Um,
1: not being able to see my daughters go through the big milestones in their lives To share, being able to share with them.
0: Mm. Who was your favorite superhero growing up? it would be um spider-man if you could have any superpower in the world what would it be the lady what is your actual superpower um just being a nice guy <laughs> Sick. <laughs> love it i love it you are a very nice guy eric so you're you're killing it <laughs> I, i'm trying man yeah. <laughs> Okay, less of, more of. What would you want to see less of in the world and also more of in the world? Um, Less hate. Um, People being
1: ignorant, people hating for the wrong reasons and just, you know, stupidity and ignorance. Um, More I'd love to see is just people being real. Um, Mm -hmm. People, you know, not being so fake material and just being true. Um, you know, say it how it is and, you know, mean what you say, say what you mean. Love it, man. What is your golden rule, your life mantra? Um, treat people how you want to be treated. Um, it'll go such a long way. You know, as we've talked in this session, so, and so much about my network and how I have deal with so many people that I used to deal with. And a lot of that goes back to is how, you know, it's all about honor and how you treat people and um, they'll want to work with you, continue to work with you. And that, that's how you grow your network. You can know a lot of people, but if they don't know you for the right reasons or they don't want to work with you, then that's pointless. And growing that, your network is worthless You know, um, and it goes a long way. And the world is so small. Um, industries are so small. Someone you could be working with right now who doesn't mean anything to you could be someone that you as a major factor in, um, that could grow your business or kill your business later on because they just went to a different position and it happens over and over and over. And so, you know, my mantra is like, always be good to people, man. You never know, you know, when you're going to need someone, what their role is going to be later, like, and to be safe, just be good to everyone. And you always be covered
0: those are pearls of wisdom, man. Um, you know, Eric, man, I I really appreciate you, uh, coming on and, and chatting with me, man. And, uh, you know, even just, uh, from the few years that I've known you like this, your golden rule is, um, yeah, I see that in the way that you've, uh, treated myself and the way that you've shown love to, you know, uh, the kinjas and everything. And I see, you know, even hearing your story, cause I think this is the first time I've actually heard like the full story of like, you know, your, your background and, um, the way that I, I seen you grow as, uh, you know, from, I would imagine, you know, I didn't know you back when you were starting out, but you know, like kind of that young fire ambition and that, you know, drive to be quote unquote successful, which has done you very well. Like it's, it's, it's driven you to, you know, be at the place where you're at today and then you know, looking at how you've, um, looked at this year and taking the time to kind of exhale a little bit and, you know, really appreciate the the time with family and, um, yeah, man, like you, you are very, uh, you're a wizard at what you do. and, And I think that's, uh, that goes without saying, but I think even bigger than that, like, um, yeah, your golden rule, what you said about just being good to people and um, you know, <laughs> I love that the thing that you would bring back out of all things is hugs and ha- handshakes. <laughs> that's, like, that's that just goes to show, man, you are a, a person that values uh, people. You you value um, connecting with people, and and right. uh, I, I, f- I find you to be somebody that I personally am very inspired by. Um, Thank you, man. You know, we we've, we've interacted in in a, a handful of spaces in our past, and I hope to get to you know, real life stuff again, you know, and, and break bread and, and, uh, you know, hopefully maybe work on some fun stuff together. But, um, yeah, man, uh, I, I really appreciate your time. And, um, you know, I look forward to seeing what's next. Cause I know that you're, you're always somebody who's moving, you know, like you said, you gotta take your time to breathe, but you gotta keep moving and hustling. And, and, um, I know, I know, uh, what you got going on, what Bates got going on. Um, it's going to be some big things. So Appreciate no, Thank you for having me, man. Um, you know, uh, appreciate all you guys, the
1: whole King's family. You guys are all amazing individuals. You know, I still feel blessed to be in contact with you and, um, John, um, you know, all a group, amazing group of guys. So, you know, love you guys and you guys will always be family and I'm always glad to help support you guys. Likewise.
0: And you know, we got some, uh, exciting stuff on the way too, that I hit you up about that. You'll, you For know, sure. you'll get to let taste, me know. It, taste it. very you Let soon. me know. However I can support, man. Will do man. Uh, how can All people right. follow your, your journey? Like, uh, how can they find you? Um, most, I mean, on my IG, I'm a little
1: low key. I'm not so crazy on it, but if you need to find me, um, tsunami, tsunami syndicate on, um, IG, you know, Sweet. a little taste of the things i get myself into.
0: Um, cool, man. Yeah. We'll plug that in. there. All right. And, uh, okay. so- Folks, thanks for listening. Um, if you find this episode fun, valuable in any way, all we ask you to do is share it, take a screenshot of your phone, tag us at, at Kinders Podcast, cast with K. K. We're on Twitter, IG, Facebook, and all that. That's the only marketing that we do for the show. Um, and If you really did what we do, hop into the Apple Store and leave us a five-star rating, write us a review. That helps us get visibility on the charts. And thank you guys for listening. Be safe out there. We're still in this thing. Wear your mask, stay positive. Love people, stay up, and let's keep moving, y'all. We see you guys next time. Peace.